Hey, so this is Easter Sunday, and this is about being fully alive. Easter is always about being fully alive. And if you, if you were here Friday night, you notice we, we walked through Psalm 22, and then yesterday morning we had a time of prayer in Psalm 23. And today our text is Psalm 24. That's intentional, because if you look at those three psalms together, you get a prophetic, perfect picture of Easter weekend. Psalm 22 is descriptive of Jesus' experience on, on Good Friday. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, is descriptive of Jesus' trust in God to say, I will trust you so much, you can lay me dead in a tomb, and I'll have no need, I will lack nothing. And then Psalm 24 that we're going to get to today is this, this kind of liturgy of entrance, of Jesus coming into heaven. And so if you don't mind, would you stand with me as we look at this text in Psalm 24? And I'm going to read it and you can follow along. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart he who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of, God, of the God of Jacob. Selah, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Father, we thank you that we get to come before you today and that your word reminds us of the celebration of Jesus ascending, returning, fully alive to you. This liturgy of entrance, this liturgy of return to you. And Father God, I pray that this today becomes our song. Whether it's a new song for some of us who may not know you, but we're going to sing of entrance into your presence or a new verse of a song that many of us know as we're refreshed, drawn towards you. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can have a seat. So, so Psalm 24, interestingly enough, was written by David. And it was probably written when they were moving the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And you can read about that, uh, that, that bit of history that surrounds this psalm in, in 2 Samuel 6, verses 14 and 15. So David's moving the Ark into Jerusalem, and it culminates with David dancing in his underwear before the Ark and all the people. Now, I want to tell our regulars, we have visitors here today, so keep your pants on. But it became a psalm of procession, and, and the people would sing it as they went into the temple. Each time they went in to praise God, they would sing this psalm. And they sang it when they entered into His presence because they knew that the Ark of the Covenant was there, and on the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God. It was a psalm that foreshadowed prophetically, the coming of God's chosen one, the Messiah. And, and so that's where the question in this psalm comes from. Who is this king of glory? 
But we know the answer to that, don't we? Who is this king of glory? I thought we knew the answer. <laughs> Who is this king of glory? Jesus. He's the only one that this psalm can point to. And this psalm is a song of triumph. It's a song of return. People triumphantly returning to the temple, returning to the house of God. But it's also a song of Jesus' triumph over death and sin. And it's his joyous return to heaven as the Lord, strong and mighty, the conqueror of sin, the defeater of Satan, the overcomer of the grave, and the source of resurrection life for all who will trust him. He is the King of glory who makes each of us fully alive. And so this psalm, as a, litur a liturgy of entrance, is designed to accompany human beings going into the presence of God and God coming into the presence of humanity. It was used to rejoice and to sing and to celebrate upon entering the temple and finding God there. It's also a reminder that God had come into the presence of humanity, first in the temple and ultimately in the person of Jesus. And that's what this psalm is. Now, I'm going to give you a, a brief, brief little uh, background about, some, about psalms here because we're getting ready to go next week into a series about psalms. It's going to deal with how do we come to God with the things that are inside us? How do we get real and true with God in the circumstances of our lives? So this is helpful for the next few weeks. But, but most psalms are divided into three sections. Most psalms have a section of, called Remember, so they start out and say, remember what God has done. And then there's another section that's the rest section. It tells you some truth, some reality that will let you find rest. And then the last section of most Psalms is a section called joy. It gives you a reason to rejoice and to live in joy. So that's kind of the standard uh, structure of a Psalm. Remember, rest, joy. This Psalm is no different. It's broken down into those three sections. And so as we look at this, this psalm of David that he wrote as the ark was being moved into the temple that also is prophetic of Jesus coming out of the grave. And we see that God desires to redeem our inner life in the context of our real world woes. And he has a plan to do that. And he has a way to do that. And so the first two verses are the beginning of how God does that. It's the verses of remembrance that we were called to remember that God is the creator of all things. And so verses 1 and 2 are actually about calling the congregation to remember just who God is. It's the first two verses of Psalm 24. To remember His position over all of creation and His status as the maker of everything. He's the possessor and the ruler of all things that are, of all of creation. And to get this remembrance, to remind ourselves, to let this psalm remind us that God is the creator of all, actually gives us a foundation to have rest and joy. Without the remembrance of that, we will get stuck in trying to find our own rest and joy. And has anybody done that? We fail measurably when we try to do that. We'll never find it without the remembrance of who God is. 
Because God, as the creator of all things and the ruler of all things, holds all power over all of creation and all creatures, including us. Therefore, acknowledging him, recognizing him as who he is, is necessary to experience rest and joy. And so all of this means that he and he alone is the only one that has the power to bring rest and joy into our lives. He's the only one that can help us realize the rest and the joy that are in the next two sections of this psalm. And so the third section of the psalm is all about God himself coming into the presence of humanity. That's where our joy is found. The second section of this psalm, the rest section, is about God bringing human beings into his presence. So what we get in Psalm 24 with this three-part structure is this. Once you remember who God is, you acknowledge Him as God. You accept Him as God. You acknowledge that He is the creator and ruler of all things. Then you have access to Him as He brings you into His presence where there's rest. And also, He has access to you as, you come in, as he comes into your presence and brings you joy. So, those are the three things we're going to look at this morning in Psalm 24. Remember who God is. Allow him to draw you into his presence where you can find rest. And then invite him into your presence where you find joy. And so the first thing we've got to do is we've got to remember that God is the creator of all and as such has ultimate power over all of creation. We know that's true in our lives. If I make something, it's mine. I can do with it what I will. It's true of God as well. He has made something and it is His. And that's verse 1 and 2 is the remembrance. Then we're going to see in verses 3 through 6 this idea of rest, that God has the power to bring Himself, to bring us into the presence of Himself. He's the only one that can move me into His presence. And verses 3 through 6 are going to show us that rest that we find there. I can't bring myself into His presence. Only He can bring me into His presence. There is absolutely no way any human being, apart from God's grace, can enter into God's presence. And that's what verses 3 and 6 tell us. And that's where we find rest. Listen to this in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is a gift from God. Verses 3 through 6 in Psalm 24 invite us into the rest that comes from allowing God to draw us into His presence. And then the third section of this Psalm, verses 7 through 10, tells us this that God, as Creator of all, has the power to not only come into the realm and presence of human beings but to abide there, to live there in us. That's the whole point of the resurrection. Jesus, by rising from the grave, now has the ability to live here now in 2023 in the hearts of people in Sarnia, Canada, 
through the power of His resurrection. That's a joyful experience. That's the culmination of it all. And so what we get is, remember who God is, and then rest when He draws us into His presence and joy of Him showing up here now. Listen to this in Matthew 1, 20, uh, chapter 1, verses 23. This is telling us what He's done through the incarnation and in the resurrection. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, which means, what's it mean? God with us. Yes. God with us. It doesn't say God with us for 33 years and then gone. It doesn't say God with us one day. The point of the resurrection on Easter Sunday is that God is with us here, now, forever. Because He is alive, because He walked out of that tomb, He is with us here, now, forever. And so we have to understand these three sections of these Psalms, particularly Psalm 24. Remember, rest, joy. Because when we lay Psalm 24 under the template of that structure, we see very clearly, we can remember who God is, acknowledge Him as God. We can accept the rest that He wants to draw us into by bringing us into His presence. And we can live in joy now because of Emmanuel, God with us still today. And so listen to this, because I know there's people in this room that are going, rest in joy. you got to be kidding me. Have you seen my life? There's no rest. There's no joy. There's brokenness. There's hurt. There's sorrow. But I want to tell you this. I want to invite you into some self-examination this morning. If you are struggling to find rest and joy in your life, can I invite you to ask yourself this question? Am I really remembering God? Is the obstacle between my rest and joy my circumstances? Or is it my recall? Am I trying to remember who God is, acknowledging Him as God, saying He has authority over all creation, that He has created it all? Because listen to this in Romans 10.9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, we can talk about what the word confess means and we can talk about what the word believe means, but we don't have enough time because some of y'all have a ham or something in the oven you need to get home to. But confess and believe is a pretty simple path. But it's also an impossible path if you don't acknowledge in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 24 that God is creator of all. Apart from that remembering God, Romans 10 verse 9 is irrelevant to you. So we must start with the remember. And so we're going to walk through these three sections of Psalm 24. And no matter where you're at in your faith, maybe you can respond in a different way today. Maybe if you've never taken that, that movement into God, that movement into saying, Lord, I want to find rest in your presence. Maybe you do that today. Maybe you have, but life doesn't feel very restful and joyful right now. Then maybe you move deeper into God's presence in your life 
today, and you find that. And so this first section is a section of remembrance of God as creator of all. So listen to these verses. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. Now, God as creator has ownership of all things. Notice this verse includes those who dwell in it. That's you and I and everybody. We are gods. Whether we acknowledge it or not, we are gods. And so everyone who's ever lived by fact, by reality, by creation, by goodness, and by love, is the possession of the Father. His love for you is what brought you into being, and it's what holds you together. So that's our common starting point. That's where we all start from. Listen to this in Romans 8, 37 and 39. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him. Now that him is Jesus who died and rose for us so that we could receive the presence of God in this earth that he created and be drawn into God's presence in all eternity in the restored and redeemed world who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, because he rose from it, death can't hold you down, nor life, regardless of what you've done in your past, because of his grace, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers. All of this refers to the spiritual powers of evil that seek to destroy us. Nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation. Why can nothing in all creation harm you? Because the one who made all creation owns it. He has authority over it. Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember. Verses 1 and 2. That's all we're invited into. Remember. Because He is the Creator of all, you are secure in His love, both now and after your life ends in the resurrection. But make no mistake, you're never insecure in His love. We are all secure in His love. These first two verses establish the fact that God has the power, the ability, and most importantly, the desire to move us into His presence. Because they have the power to move us into His presence and the ability to move us into His presence, but to look at us and say, you know, you guys are kind of nasty and stinky and you do stupid stuff. Maybe I don't want you in my presence. Power and ability without desire never cause any execution of anything. But the desire that God has for us is His love for us that nothing can separate us from. And because He is alive, having risen from the grave on Easter Sunday and gone to prepare a place for us, we can then move into verses 3 through 6 and find that rest in His presence. So we're going to go there in just a minute. But for now, this present and corrupted earth is not beyond his reach, which I think is tremendously good news because he himself has authority over all of it. If he didn't have authority, it would be beyond his reach. And that Jesus, as God in the flesh, came into the earth, this earth, this broken earth, this unredeemed earth, simply to give us a quality of life that is eternal now. 
He did not need to come to bring us into eternity. He could have done that apart from anything. He's God. He has authority over it all. But it's a two-part redemption. It's a redemption that happens in this world, in this earth, giving us an eternal quality of life in God's kingdom now. And then it's a redemption that is positional, moves us into God's kingdom for all eternity. And so that quality of eternal life that's here now is available to us because Jesus went to the Father and the Holy Spirit now dwells in us. And so that life he lived that was abundant in goodness and in mercy, that fully alive life is our life that we can access now. And that's what verses one and two kind of prove to us, invite us into, remind us of, to make all of us as his creation present to himself because he has the power to do so. First with us as the person of Jesus and next in us as the abiding Holy Spirit in us. So his redemption, his rest, came in the person of Christ and lingers in the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. So verses three through six then speak of the rest that is available for us in the presence of God as creator. Listen to verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? In short, the psalmist David here is asking, hey, who's good enough to rise up to the dwelling place of God? Who can go to his holy hill? It's a metaphor for the place that God lives. It's a metaphor for being in his presence. Who is good enough to stand in his holy place alongside a holy and perfect God? Again, he's talking about heaven. And if you don't know how to find your way to heaven, or if you're unsure of how to get to that place where, where you have peace and joy and rest, then this section of the psalm might be really important for you. And so he's going to answer that question. Who can go to heaven? Who can be in God's presence? And verse 4 answers it. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So there you go. Who's good enough to be in God's presence? Who's good enough to stand with him? Well, the person who has clean hands, who's never done any evil. All right? And the person who has a pure heart, which means has never desired evil. Okay. That hasn't thought, sought after anything untrue and that hasn't used deceit. So the answer to the question, who can stand in God's presence, is not good news for any of us. It's bad news. I can't. I don't know all of you, but I'm assuming that most of you can't. So verse 4 in Psalm 24 basically says, who can stand in God's presence? Who can ascend to His holy hill? Nobody. All of my creation is now eliminated from salvation, from being in God's presence. That doesn't sound like rest. But these verses are about rest. The structure of Psalms tells us that this part of the psalm should be about me finding rest. And that's not what I find there when I realize I've done evil and desired evil and I've chased after deceitful things and I've spread falsehood. And then we get to Romans 3.23 that reinforces Psalm 24. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Psalm 24, 3, who can enter into God's presence? Romans 3, 23, nobody. 
except one. One. Listen to this in Hebrews 7, verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained. Doesn't that sound like Psalm 24, 3? Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That holy, innocent, unstained high priest is Jesus himself. So who can enter into God's presence? Psalm 24, 3. Romans 3, 23. Nobody. Hebrews 7. Oh, excuse me, wait, there's one. There's one guy who can. And that high priest who can bring us into God's presence is Jesus himself. The only one who can ascend to God and stand with God as holy in a holy place because he's holy and innocent and unstained. So the answer to the question in Psalm 24, 3, who can stand in God's presence? Jesus. He's the only one. Well, that may not be great news for me, right? It's good news for him until we look at 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Okay, did you guys know we were in Scripture? Here we are. We're all in there. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So Psalm 24, 3 says, who can ascend to God? Romans 3, 23 says, nobody Hebrews 7 says, well, there's one guy. And then we get to 1 Peter, and 1 Peter goes, actually, there's one guy, but he's bringing a whole bunch of friends. He's bringing a lot of folks with him. Prepare a big table. So having entered in himself, he now gives his righteousness that is his right relationship with God to us. Now we're getting towards the rest part, aren't we? That sounds more like rest. He offers to all the blessing of living in God's presence and of his salvation. Now, verse 6 in Psalm 24. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. If you are seeking God, whoever you may be, under, to, to understand him at this moment, whatever level of engagement you have with him, whatever level of knowledge you have with him, I can tell you this. If you find Jesus in your seeking, you will find God. When you look at Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2, and you realize that you need to remember God as the creator of all, and you find in that God, the person of Jesus, who is God himself, you'll find that rest. And so now we need to look at the third and final section of this psalm, the place where joy is. So we have remember, we have rest, which we just showed you is the invitation in Psalm 24 and throughout Scripture in the person of Jesus to be brought into God's presence. Human beings brought into His presence. Who can ascend to the holy hill? Who can stand in the presence of God? One, Jesus can. But He wants to bring all of us with Him. And now we get to the part of joy in Psalm 24. The third section of Psalm 24 is the joy that comes into our lives with the presence of God as creator. 
So remember. Why do I need to remember him? Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. Because he made it all. Rest. How can I find rest in him? Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6. Because he's bringing me into his presence. And now where's my joy? Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10. I'm going to tell you where your joy is right now. Listen to verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Now I need to tell you something. Ancient gates had no parts that moved up and down. They only opened this way. And so the metaphor here is referring to lifting up your head to acknowledge that there is someone present who is greater than you. That's what it means for the gates and the ancient doors to lift up their heads. It's to lift your head to God and acknowledge that God is God in your life and you are not. This movement, this section of Psalm 24 is essentially figuring out what you will do with Jesus in this world, in this life, in your day-to-day living. The King of glory enters into our humanity and he dies. Because death is the legacy of Adam and of sin. It's what we are all born into. It's the common denominator for all of humanity. But by rising from the death, rising from the grave, he conquered death. And so listen to this. In Revelation 1, 17 and 18, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me. This is awesome. He laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, for I am the first and the last. And the living one, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Think about that. Think about that. Lord, I want you to unlock death for me. Well, I got the keys. Ask me to do it. I'd be happy to unlock it for you. If you would just ask. I'd be happy to free you from that if you would just ask. And so what does this mean? Well, it means that if he's already your king of glory, then you can die to yourself and let him be your life. Because he died and he is alive forevermore. It cost me nothing to die to myself when the one who holds the keys to death is my life. You can freely and willingly pursue that Galatians 2.20 life that Paul invites us into. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Do you see that Paul is talking about life here now? The presence of Christ here now in us? And the life I now live in the flesh here I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the movement of God into the humanity in the person of Jesus that we see in Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10, makes it perfectly safe for those of us who are in Christ, who are seeking his presence now, to continually die to ourselves more and more. 
and to be resurrected to a new quality of life, a new standard of living that's lived by faith in the Son of God. It's a process that we repeat in different areas of our lives over and over and over again. It's called growing in Christ intentionally. And that's what we're about here. And so here's what happens. As we die to ourselves and are resurrected to new life in new areas, in the places where I have hurt, where I have anger, where I have bitterness, where I have resentment, where I have unforgiveness, as I die to those things and I'm resurrected to new life in those things, what I find is joy. Freedom. So here's what you need to know in all this stuff I just said. That we always remember God is creator and everything is his. That's Psalm 24, 1 and 2. That God as the creator wants to use his authority and power to give us rest in his presence. That's verses 3 through 6. But there's a problem with that. None of us is holy. None of us is righteous enough. Therefore, none of us can enter into his presence. The resolution is Jesus. He was born. He lived a perfect life. He died and he conquered death by rising so that you and I can go into God's presence for all eternity. Starting today. Not after we die. Eternity is already happening. We're in it. And then finally, God wants to make our joy full by entering into our very presence now through Jesus. The presence of humanity in this world. That's verses 7 through 10 in Psalm 24. And so we respond to his desire to dwell in us and with us now by giving him lordship through our obedience and worship. It's just that simple. Now, what I didn't say was perfect obedience and perfect worship. What do you have? Just bring that. Just bring that. If you can obey God this much, bring that. If your obedience is massive, then bring that. But for the person who only has this much obedience or the person who has this much obedience, can I just tell you that there's no difference between that with God because it's His grace that draws us into deeper obedience. And so we acknowledge his lordship through obedience and worship. We seek to die to our own will and to let his will for us have absolute authority over our lives as part of his creation. Do you see how we just cycled right back to verses one and two? Back to all who dwell in it are his. If God, the creator of all, says, I want you to rest and I want you to have joy, guess what? You should participate with him in that. You should say, yeah, I want some of that too. Let's you and I get on the same page. I want rest. I want joy. You want me to have rest. You want me to have joy. Let's get on the same page. How are we going to bring that about? And the answer is Christ. And the answer is Jesus. And it's a cycle that continues to happen over and over and over again. And so what do we do with Psalm 24? It's real simple. It's what we do with every psalm. We remember we rest and we experience joy. We remember God and we worship Him by acknowledging His sovereignty, His authority, His power, His majesty, His love for all of creation, especially over us. 
And if we're living in verses three through six, if you're one of those people that's in that spot where you're saying, I need this question answered. Who can ascend to the hill of God? Who can stand in his presence? If that's where you're at today, in verses three through six, where what you're longing for is rest, then you need to find that rest in Jesus on this Easter Sunday. Find that rest in him as the one who can bring you into God's presence to allow him to resurrect you today and make you fully alive in him today. After our service ends, if you want to talk to somebody about that, you're going to be welcome to come down. You can talk to me. You can talk to one of our prayer partners. Maybe you just have questions. Maybe you just want to pray with somebody. We'd welcome you to come down. And if you're living in verses 7 through 10, where I suspect most of us are today, this is probably the space most of us are landing in today, then you need to affirm again this morning and every morning that Jesus is your King of glory. He is your fullest joy. And allow the Holy Spirit to guide you into the next death to self that you need to experience. So you can say with Paul, I've been crucified with Christ. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And then you'll find your complete and ultimate joy in Him. A taste of it here now. But completely when you step into His presence. Father, we're so grateful and thankful that we, as a people, have the freedom to celebrate the resurrection of Your Son that we as your people are so deeply loved that you would give your only son, that he would live a perfect life and he would suffer and die, that he would conquer death, Lord, that he is the victor over death, the thing that hangs over all of us, that looms so large and yet no more, that he's conquered it and freed us from it. And so, Father, we ask that that your spirit would just renew in us today the joy of your presence with us. And Father, if there are any in here who have never experienced that rest of their presence with you, I pray that they find that this morning. But God, we know that whether it's joy we're seeking, a, a deeper presence in our lives now, or the rest of knowing and assurance that we will be in your presence for all of eternity. We know that both of those things happen by remembering. And so, Father, help us to remember that you are God, that you are powerful, that you are the authority over it all, and that most importantly, you love us and want for us what's best. We ask all that in Jesus' name.